As I said earlier, the new year has begun. How are all of you feeling? I know if you read anything on Facebook or anywhere else, 2016 was probably the worst year we've ever had in the history of the world. Um, But thankfully, we are starting a new year. And New Year's is one of those times in our lives that we think about our lives, and especially about our futures. We make resolutions in the hope that they'll lead to a better life. And most of the time, these revolutions, they center on things like our health, our finances, our relationships. And this all can be very good and very helpful. But I also think the New Year is a great time for us to consider our future through the lens of the gospel. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have a glorious future ahead of you. And this is, has great implications for us right now. It has great implications for us today. As a matter of fact, every time that we gather as God's people to come and to worship Him, we get a foretaste of that future glory. And this should give us a great expectation and great hope to live out each day in the present. So what does the future hold for us as believers? Well, if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, we will get a a glimpse of this future. I'll be reading verses 6 through 10. I ask you to stand in honor of God's word. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege and the honor to to come together as your people, that you have gathered us here as your people to worship you in spirit and truth. And as we gather, we do get a foretaste of our future glory. A future that is secured for us through Christ, through His work, through His birth, and His death upon the cross, and His resurrection, and the hope that we know that He will return. Lord, as we begin this new year, I pray, Lord, that You would remind us regularly of what Jesus has done for us, and of the future that lies before us, and that may give us great hope and anticipation. We ask now, Lord, that You would bless uh, these words, that these would be Your words that go forth clearly, powerfully, and boldly. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now imagine for a second that tomorrow you pick up the local newspaper and you're flipping through the classifieds and you come across an ad that says, Lost Dog, $50 reward. And then it goes on to describe this dog. It's, It's black and tan. It's part poodle, part German shepherd. Yeah, it's got fleas. It's missing one of its legs. Oh yeah, it was recently neutered. And his name is Lucky. 
Now, what would you think about that dog? Well, the dog really is in bad shape. But the dog is also really lucky because he has an owner who loves it and is who willing to, to put forth a price to find this dog and to get the dog back. You see, this dog is a lot like the church. And so, yes, on the first day of the new year, I'm calling you all dogs. He is a lot like us. Because the church can be a mess. But we are blessed because we are loved by Jesus. And so let us consider three things this morning. The church is messy. The church is blessed. And the church is loved. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And while he was there, God appeared to him and he gave him visions. And he told him to write those visions down. To write down what he saw. And we find this in in Revelation 1, verses 10 through 11, which says this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So Revelation is a book, it's written to the church as it is manifested in local, individual churches. This means that Revelation is also written to us as members of the church who happen to be in a church as it is manifested here at Tabernacle. And in chapter 19, we get a glimpse into the future. There's a great gathering, and there's a great celebration. We see this in verses 6 and 7, which read, Then I heard what? seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. So this scene, it takes place in heaven. And all the saints are crying out in praise and worship and celebration, all as one voice. Their cry is so loud that it is deafening. There's excitement in the air. Why are they celebrating? Well, verse 7 goes on to say that the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. This is the cause for celebration. That great anticipated day has finally come. Jesus will finally receive His bride, which is the church. And we'll look more at that event in a moment. But first, there is something else that I want us to see. As I said earlier, this passage provides us with a glimpse into the future. However, what are the implications of this for us today? What are the implications for us here right now? Well, the first one is obvious. The marriage of the Lamb has not yet happened. Jesus has not yet received the church as his bride. Why? Why hasn't this happened yet? Well, verse 7 provides us with an answer. The bride is not ready. And that is the second implication of this passage. The church needs to be made ready before the marriage supper of the Lamb will happen. Why? Because the church is messy. This is made very clear at the beginning of Revelation. Revelation is written to the seven churches. And in chapters 2 and 3, each church is addressed specifically. And if you were to take just a quick survey of those letters, here are some of the things that is revealed about the church. The church has abandoned its first love. It has embraced heresy. It practices sexual immorality. It has a reputation of being alive but is dead. It is neither hot nor cold. The church is lukewarm. This is what the church looked like during the time of John. And it wasn't an exhaustive list. 
And the church, and the truth is that the church really hasn't even changed much. The church is a mess because the church is full of sinners. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is true of every one of us. None of us are worthy to be part of the bride of Christ. This is one of the reasons why the celebration in chapter 9 is so grand. The people are in awe. The church is full of sinners. It is messy. And yet there is coming a day when that will no longer be true. There's coming a day when the messy church will be given to Jesus, the Holy One, as his bride. That is why the church is blessed. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Well, this begs the question, how did the bride make herself ready? How does the bride make herself ready? Another way we can ask this question is, how do we as the church make ourselves ready to be received by Christ on that glorious day? Well, look at verse 8. It says, the, the bride clothed herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And we find out in verse 8, again, what that fine linen is. It goes on to say that the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And we're given a clue as to what these deeds are in verse 10. They include worshiping God and, and holding to the testimony of Jesus. So the church makes herself ready by worshiping God as the one only true God and by holding fast to the testimony of Jesus. These two deeds point to two of the main themes that run through the book of Revelation. Those two themes are faithfulness and perseverance. The bride of Christ, which is the true church, consists only of those people who remain faithful and who persevere in their faith. Revelation also reveals that there are many enemies that will try to thwart God's plan and that will try to destroy his church. There's the false trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the prophet. There's the, the great prostitute Babylon, which is found in chapters 17 and 18. Now, I don't have time this morning to, to explain what all of these things represent in detail. But for now, it suffices to say that they symbolize the seductive and destructive ways of Satan in the world. You see, along with our own flesh, these are the great enemies of God and his people. Because they are trying to entice us away from him. They tempt us in many ways. Idol after idol is placed before us, claiming to have what we need and what we want. It might be money. It might be success. It could be fame. It could be power. It could be comfort. Anything that we hold on to for security or anything that we look to for our significance or our identity is an idol. They are keeping us from seeking those things from God alone. And the sad truth is that he alone can provide them. This goes right back to the heart of sin. Sin tells us that we can be our own God. Sin tells us that we can carve our own paths, that we don't need God. Sin tells us that we can find our significance in other things, that we can make ourselves secure through other means. And Satan knows this, and so this is how he attacks us. He attempts us He tempts us with the allures of the world. He whispers in our ears, if you really want to be happy, then you need to pursue money or sex or power. Pursue those things at all cost because you don't need God. Or he tempts us through persecution. 
He attacks the church. He tells us that if you really want to be safe and comfortable, then you must abandon Christ. Why would you want to follow him when he promises you a life of suffering? Take the easy road. Do what makes you happy. These are just some of the ways that Satan and the world are working against God and working against us as church. And inner strategy is effective. There have been many, many people that will follow them, even though it leads to their own destruction. Why? Because all of us, we are all born into sin. That is our natural state. We are by nature enemies of God. That is the human condition. We all want to be our own God. We all want to control our own destiny. The book of Revelation reveals how this all unfolds in great symbolic detail. However, this, thankfully, is not true for every one of us. Because those people who are members of the true church will remain faithful to God. And they will persevere through persecutions and trials. They will resist the devil in the world. They are the bride of Christ, and the bride will make herself ready. Now, there is a very important question that we must ask here. If the bride is the one who makes herself ready, as it seems to say in verse 7, then, then why is God the one who seems to be getting all the glory in this passage? Wouldn't it make sense for the bride to really, really, re- receive at least some of that glory if they were the ones responsible for making themselves ready? In other words, who ultimately is responsible for preparing the bride to be received by Jesus? Who was responsible? Well, the answer to this question is found in verse 8. It says, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So yes, the bride makes herself ready, but only because it was granted to her to do so. She was given the necessary clothes to wear. wear. Let me try to explain this a little further. There is a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 22 that will help us understand what is being said here in Revelation 19. So let me read this for us. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind bind his hand and his foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called and few are chosen. This parable shows us that there were many people invited to this wedding feast, but only a few actually enjoyed it. Some rejected the invitation because of one reason or another. And then there was that one who showed up to the wedding feast, but he was not in the right clothing, and he was cast out. You see, only those guests who received and accepted an invitation and who were properly clothed 
were able to enjoy the wedding feast. So who are these blessed guests? Well, the answer is found at the end of the parable. Many are called, but few are chosen. You see, that the call of the gospel goes out to everyone, but only the elect are those that will respond to this call. Those chosen by God will be granted the gift of faith, and we will be enabled to persevere by the Holy Spirit. The true church consists only of those men and women who have been chosen by God. If you have been chosen by God, then you will have faith in Christ, and your faith will never be lost because it is held secured by Christ. And you have hope that when the time comes, you will be able to make yourself ready because you have been granted to clothe yourself with fine linen, bright and pure. Isaiah 61.10 makes this clear. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me in garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. If you are a Christian, if you've placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have been clothed with the garments of salvation. You've been clothed with the robe of righteousness. You did not earn those clothes. We don't deserve them. But because God loves us, He has clothed us with them. And He has brought us into the church together as with the other saints. He has made us the bride of Christ. And as His bride, we are being prepared to be given as, God, as a gift to God's Son on that great day when we will celebrate the marriage of the Lamb. Until then, God will watch over and protect this gift. And the amazing thing is that He's doing this through His Son. So yes, the church is messy. But we are also blessed because we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus loves His bride. He loves the church even more than we can possibly comprehend. And therefore, He is preparing us for this wedding. This is seen clearly in Ephesians 5. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How do you know that Jesus loves you? Look to the cross. He gave himself up for you. And his sacrifice served a purpose. You see, we should never look at the cross as some kind of cosmic accident. Or as a misguided display of love. The cross was intentional. Jesus went there willingly. He came to accomplish something and the cross was necessary. For him to achieve his desired purpose. He came to prepare his bride. Listen to what William Hendrickson says. He says, Christ himself readies her, the church, in order to present her to himself. The point stressed is, of course, that she, the church, can do nothing in her own power. She owes all of her beauty to him, the bridegroom. So how does Jesus prepare his bride? Well, Ephesians mentions three things. First, He came to sanctify his bride. This means that he has made his bride holy. Now this doesn't mean that we are now without sin. It means that we've been set apart. That we've been separated from the world. 
That we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Peter describes this well in 1 Peter 2. He writes, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So we have been set apart through Jesus. Ultimately, this means that we've been brought into an exclusive relationship with him. Jesus came to sanctify his bride. He also came to cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. So why does the bride need cleansing? As we've already talked about, it's because of sin. Sin defiles us. That is why we read in Isaiah that all our works are like filthy rags. Sin makes us dirty. Sin corrupts. It affects everything that we do to some degree. Everything about us and everything that we do is polluted by sin. Sin also condemns. Sinners are guilty before God, but Jesus came to cleanse us from sin. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. He went to the cross in our place. Because of him, we are no longer condemned. And we've been freed from the corruption and pollution of sin. Jesus came to sanctify his bride. He came to cleanse his bride. And he also came so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. He is the one that will provide the wedding clothes to his bride. Listen to what Peter O'Brien says about this. He says, Hers will be splendor that is exquisite, unsurpassed, matchless. For the present church on earth is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and rejected. Christ's people may rightly be accused of many shortcomings and failures, but God's gracious intention is that the church should be holy and blameless. That is amazing. This is one of the reasons why we have great hope. Jesus will finish what he has started. The church will be holy. The church will be beautiful. This can be hard to believe at times because the church doesn't look like this right now. But Jesus loves us. We've been set apart as his bride. He paid the required payment in order to redeem us as his bride. And the payment was his blood, which he gave freely and willingly. Why? Because of you. You were worth that price to him. Jesus loved you and he wanted you to be his. So he went to the cross. He sanctified you. He cleansed you. And he will clothe you in splendor and holiness. Now we are already his bride. And now we wait with great anticipation for the marriage of the Lamb when, he will be, when we will finally and fully be His. This is why John instructed to, was instructed to write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of their Lamb in, in verse 9. The church is messy. The church is full of sinners. But the church is also blessed because we are greatly loved by Jesus. And therefore we have great hope. We are not what we are supposed to be yet, but Jesus promises to change us and to make us into his beautiful bride. And until that day comes, we are called to remain faithful to our groom by loving him and by being devoted to him. 
And we are called to eagerly wait for Him to come. Knowing that once He comes, all things will be set right. Jenny and I will be celebrating our 10th anniversary this year um, in August. And I was thinking as I was putting this passage together, I was thinking about um, just when we were preparing for our wedding day. And one of the, my favorite parts of that um, was actually two parts. One is when we went to um, the bakery that we we're going to be using to provide our wedding cake. And I'm sure any of you have been married or most of you have been married have, got, have gone through this experience as well. But you get to show up there and they, they literally bring out just plates full of all the different cake options they have. And you get to try all of them. And then our reception was at the Blacksburg Country Club. Um, and same thing happened there. Basically, they pulled out the menu. And it was the one and only time in your life you can say, I'd like one of everything. And they literally bring everything out before you. And you get to taste and sample everything. It was really a, a glorious day. Um, <laughs> because we had really good food. <laughs> but as I was sitting there and really enjoying that time, I couldn't help but think of what was, what was coming. As we're sitting there trying the different food and just enjoying that time together, I couldn't help but think of of the wedding day that was just weeks away and coming. But even beyond that, it wasn't even just the the excitement and anticipation of the wedding day. It was the excitement and anticipation of of being able to to spend the rest of my life with Jenny. That is really how we need to view the church today. Every time we gather to worship, every time we gather for fellowship, It is a foretaste of that great wedding feast of the Lamb that is coming. This is why we need to treasure the church. We are all part of the bride of Christ. We are not perfect. We are a bunch of sinners. But Jesus loves us. And He is preparing us for this wedding. When we will be made ready, we will be clothed with holiness We'll be clothed with fine linen that is bright and pure. And we will be able to spend the rest of eternity with the one that we love and the one who loves us more than we even understand. In the new heavens and the new earth. Where there will be no more sin. No more sorrow. No more mourning. No more death. No more sickness. There will only be celebration and worship. And as we spend eternity with Jesus, we will enjoy inexpressible joy and satisfaction and happiness. And there is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that will prevent this day from coming. Because Jesus has already won. He is victorious. And He will return. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank You for this wonderful reminder that Jesus is coming back. And as we begin yet another new year, we, know, we don't know what exactly is in store for us this year. But we do know that you will return. And that you, even now, are preparing us to be your bride. That we will be made holy and blameless. That we will be made beautiful. Lord, forgive us for the many times that we as your church don't act as your bride. That we sin against you, that we sin against one another. Lord, we ask that you would lead us to repentance and that you would lead us back to Jesus. That we would be reminded that through him and him alone that we have been forgiven. That there is now no condemnation for those who trust in him. That we have been cleansed from our unrighteousness, that we've been cleansed from our sin, and that we are being prepared for that day when you will return and receive us as as your bride.
Lord, may that grow in us a great expectation and anticipation. May that give us great hope. And Lord, may that help us live out each day in the present, eagerly waiting your return, seeking to be faithful to you. Lord, we ask that your spirit would equip us to do this, that he would enable us to be faithful and to persevere as you've promised, that nothing and nobody will be able to snatch us from your hands, that we are completely secure in the hands of Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I do thank you for Tabernacle. I thank you for the many ways that you've blessed this church and the ways that you're working in and through us. We ask that you would continue um, to, to bless us and to grow us and to use us for your purpose and for your glory as we enter into 2017. Lord, we do pray particularly for Frank and Chris Root. We ask for your blessings upon them. We thank you for the